So today we're going to talk about Wes Anderson, which is different from what we usually do, of course. Normally we talk about visual artists, so this may be a bit of a challenge for us, but I think we'll figure it out just fine. This is going to be a total cluster cuss for everybody. <laughs> Wes Anderson was born May 1st, 1969 in Houston. His father was a realtor and an archaeologist. Hmm. His mother worked in PR and advertising. His brother is a physician, and I didn't know this, but his younger brother is a writer, artist, and actor in Moonrise Kingdom, He's... Fantastic Mr. Fox, Life Aquatic, Royal Tenenbaums, and Rushmore. Really interesting. He went to school at uh, St. John's School in Houston, which is the main setting for his film Rushmore, and he graduated with a degree in philosophy from the University of Texas at Austin, which is where he met Owen Wilson. You know, what's funny is Owen and his brother Luke Wilson were both in his first movie, Bottle Rocket. And neither of the two Wilsons thought that they were going to ever be able to actually make a career at movie making. They both thought this was going to be the last movie and the first movie <laughs> that they ever made. And uh, Owen Wilson was actually planning on going into the military. Really? Yeah, but... Uh, you know, it, somehow this movie that no one wanted uh, became successful, sort of. I mean, at first it didn't pick up. So they made a short film. After they made the short film, it got picked up by a, a bigger production company. I don't know which one. But some other bigger company gave them the funding to make the actual movie. And what's funny is they said, well, we could use the script and keep the director, but how about we just use different actors? Aww. <laughs> So Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson almost didn't even make it into their first oh, film. Man. They only almost made it into the the short film. But they uh and Luke Wilson was even down to he was like, "Dude, that's fine. Let's just get this movie made." But luckily, they made the deal where they were in the movie. They made the the long version of it and uh both of them became extremely successful actors yeah. off of some indie movie that uh, they made with some classmates. Huh. And Wes Anderson has spent most of his li life in New York, but lives in Paris. Oh, cool. And his partner is, I don't know how to pronounce it, Juman Malouf, maybe? She was born in Lebanon, but grew up in London. She graduated from Brown University with a bachelor's in fine arts and art history. And then later she received a master's of fine arts from the School of the Arts for set and costume design. She's also a writer. She's the voice of Agnes in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Really? Wow. And she was in the costume and wardrobe department for Isle of Dogs and has been in the art department for several other of Anderson's films. Support the homies. Yep. That's where it's at. And they have a daughter named Freya, who was born in 2016. Huh. Is she in any of his movies yet? I don't think so. <laughs> That's what he does. I mean, think about it. So the the main characters of his movies, they've been in his movies since the very beginning. They were people who sat in the same classroom as him in college. And uh, they just rode to the top together. Even the, the guy who films everything, I think they met in college as well, and he was filming for them from the very beginning. What's his name? Robert Yeoman. Robert Yeoman. He, mm. 
He started his career with working on the movie To Live and Die in L.A., directed by William Friedkin. Also, I was wrong when I said that he must was working. Cause yeah. This guy clearly... I have the story here, okay. so I can give the story. But he described it as like being sent to the Russian front. Oh. <laughs> um, but a quote from him, he loves Westerns, comedies, and got into Alfred Hitchcock. And he said, Clockwork Orange changed his life. He said, I'm so amazed by the film and what they did. I remember driving back to Duke and just thinking, I really want to get involved in this. I don't know anybody or how to do it, but this is something I really want to do. It was a moment that changed my life in a lot of ways. Yeah, I like how you bring him up because when you talk about a Wes Anderson movie, talking about Wes Anderson's influences almost isn't enough because Wes Anderson always keeps the same people on. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like this whole boat of... Uh, you know, participants, and each one of them has their own backgrounds and influences that consistently affects the movie because they're consistently part of his movies. Yep. And apparently Wes was a fan of a movie Robert had shot called Drugstore Cowboy. And so Wes Anderson wrote him, wrote Robert a note saying that he had written a script called Bottle Rocket, and if Robert liked it, Wes would love to meet with him. Mm. And so that's how they came together. And Robert said, cinematographers that inspire me, there are so many, but to name a few, Vittorio Storaro with The Conformist, Gordon Willis with The Godfather, Freddie Young with Lawrence of Arabia, Conrad Hall with Fat City, and I remember seeing McCabe and Mrs. Miller in the theater probably 25 times. I love that movie so much. Mm. Yeah, um, it's funny. The movie The Godfather, when the Wilson brothers and Wes were going to put together this movie Bottle Rocket, they initially were thinking that they were going to make a gritty Goodfellas, The Godfather type of movie. But as they continued to write it, they realized that they had absolutely no background in that kind of world and everything. It would just feel so wrong and <laughs> and fake for them to do that huh. so i just think that's funny that a lot of people they want to make a certain type of movie but that's just not who they are and it's best for people just to learn that lesson and make the movies that they are not necessarily that have to do with their exact background but that you know they're just certain patterns and tendencies that that artists have you know and if you stick with those then you'll find something that that you know feels authentic mm-hmm and some of those same characters that he uses include Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson, Jason Schwartzman. Even another guy who's in a bunch of his movies, a local yoga teacher in Austin, Texas. Kumar Palana? I think so. Yeah. He was an actor known for The Terminal, The Royal Tenenbaums, and Bottle Rocket. Right, so he plays like the assistant in uh, The Royal Tenenbaums. Anyway, he is, I believe, the father of... A guy who worked at the cafe that they would go to all the time when they were riding Bottle Rocket. Huh. And he also happened to be a yoga teacher in Austin, Texas. <laughs> and he performed on the Mickey Mouse Club as a plate spinner and juggler. Oh, yeah. That's what Wikipedia says. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? What, yeah. a, what an interesting life that man has led. He died oh, shoot. October 10th, 2013. Rest in at peace. At the age of 94. R.I.P. Kumar. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the yoga instructor turned actor was almost 25. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> what's great is they didn't just use him once, you know? They kept using him yeah. on other projects. And that's just what's so funny is it's like what you need is a lot of the time you can find around you if you just scrounge around, you know, the people you need, the things that you need. He creates, Wes Anderson creates a family, he creates a, a culture. Mm-hmm. He's just like his own his little characters. cult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to describe Wes Anderson's style, um, he uses a lot of symmetry, bird's eye view, tracking, zoom, slow motion, whip, pan, visual and intricate plans, um, bright colors, reds and yellows. He focuses on materials, objects, and clothing to reveal personality and identity. Yeah, I love that about his his work is um, this idea that kind of like materialism and like the character of every little thing in a room actually helps to describe the human being themselves. It's all very intentional. Yes, and it's so intentional and so curated that it doesn't look like a real place. It's like so fantasy almost. Yeah. Even though all the all the objects can be you know totally normal things, it's just the way they're set up or the the maximalism of of the of the the viewer's experience kind of breaks down that fourth wall so you recognize that what you're viewing is like a play or a book or something where you're you're looking inside of it rather than a lot of movies where they try and trick you into feeling like you're actually there Wes Anderson's movies are so highly curated that there's no way that what you're seeing is real life. Huh, that's interesting. And um, he also focuses on familial relations, which are often dysfunctional. Yes. (laughs) And one of my favorite parts about his style is that adults act like children oftentimes, and children act like adults, and adults respect children. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I think that's one of the heartwarming quirks of his movies is when you see like the dialogue of uh, the life aquatic, Steve Zissou, basically it's like it's his dialogue is written like, like it's a six year old who's like on an adventure, mm-hmm. you know, and then you also see people like the children in the Royal Tenenbaums where they dress up in suits and they actually have jobs and uh, those are the extreme examples but everything in between you know it's what you love about about uh, Wes Anderson is the idea that a child always wants to go on the adventure that an adult would have and then the adult is still able to go on those adventures but seeing the world through a very childlike point of view that's a good way to put it and we can't really you know we can't really talk about Wes Anderson without talking about Robert Yeoman mm-hmm because so much of Wes Anderson's style has to do with the camera work, and a lot of that has to do with the... The cinematographer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think because his style is so prominent, visually prominent, people oftentimes forget about dialogue and story and things like that. But the real deal is when you think of Wes Anderson, a lot of the times what you, you, you picture something in your mind... You picture colors, you picture patterns, you you picture um, symmetry. You know, there's all these things that you kind of imagine. It's just so visually appealing in like a quirky, unrealistic way that really a lot of those things ought to be attributed, of course, to the cinematographer. 
And Robert said, we're all very challenged and sometimes he'll describe a shot he wants to do and I'll be thinking in my head, boy, I don't know, that seems impossible, but we'll find a way. And I don't like to say no to any director that I work with. So I think about it and think about it and we always find a way to figure it out. So he works with Wes and uses anamorphic lenses rather than spherical lenses, which allow for more background as well mm. as lots of um, you know tracking shots where the camera continues along a scene or a setting. He will um, go follow a character from room to room. That's so, for example, like... the car crash scene in Royal Tenenbaums, mm-hmm. the, cr- they, the crane arm was mounted onto a dolly, and they had to do over 20 takes to get the shot. And it's very difficult because if one thing is messed up, then they have to redo the whole scene. And when you're tracking, mm-hmm. it's a lot. Yeah, you see that a lot in movies like uh, Quentin Tarantino in like Kill Bill, for example, when the uh, in the first one, when there's this scene of the woman who walks into the Asian restaurant and it just follows her as she goes from room to room. And if you under if you really take a second and think about it, you're like, Cameras can't just walk through walls, you know, but that's something that Wes Anderson's cameras do all the time is they'll like w- go from train car to train car or from room to room and just like cut through walls and stuff like that. And it creates these like really beautiful, surreal experience for the viewer. Yeah. And you, and you get to see how each room is like its own like little curated uh, world. <laughs> And like Wes said, I like the experience of seeing the actors play the scene through, and maybe that's like the theater a bit. Mm-hmm. Not having cuts, it gives attention, and for me, a kind of excitement. I like having a cast do something difficult in a shot. Yeah. And so, like, Bill Murray is really used to this idea of lots of tracking shots, and he's used to that style. And I think that might be one of the reasons that Wes Anderson keeps all the same actors, because they get to know what he's looking for. Totally. And another example of that is in Life Aquatic when the camera shows all the different parts of the boat. Mm-hmm. And it took up so much space to do that. Um, and then he had to use a really wide-angle lens to capture it all. And that's a signature of, of Robert. Um, even if it's a close-up of a character, he still uses a wide-angle lens to get more of the background. Mm-hmm. Who is the guy who did Citizen Kane? Orson Welles. You talked about how Wes Anderson uses a type of camera lens where you see things in the forefront and in the background happening at the same time. Like, for example, two people could be sitting in a cafe having a conversation while people in the background dancing or walking around are also in focus. Mm -hmm. That's something that Wes Anderson does all the time in his movies, except he does it in a a much funnier way, you know, because you're supposed to be paying attention to the people in the forefront, having a conversation, but you're always being distracted by something going on in the background that's perhaps a bit silly. Right, yeah. How? What does that have to do with Orson Welles? He is one of the first people to get that type of camera shot in his movies. Orson he Welles. Had, he had a five and a half minute tracking scene in Touch of Evil in oh, 1958. Wow. Right. And in uh, Citizen Kane, he created, he really innovated a lot of camera shots and 
focusing styles, I guess you could say. Yeah. I don't know all the film terms. In The Magnificent Ambersons, 1942, he used the technique of blurring the edges of the frame, which is now called the, you know, vignette setting. Mm, right. He was born in 1915 and died in 1985. He was actor, director, writer, and producer. Some of his movies include Citizen Kane, Mr. Arkadin. I haven't seen a lot of his films, but I have, of course, seen Citizen Kane. Yeah. Chimes at Midnight, Othello, The Magnificent Ambersons, F for Fake, Touch of Evil, The Lady from Shanghai. Mm -hmm. And he started out his career in radio broadcasting. Right, as like a narrator. Mm Mm-hmm. And I watched some really interesting interviews where he just tells stories about this whole culture of talking on the radio and how he and his co-workers would do insane things like pull each other's pants down and the people have to keep talking like nothing's happening and Mm -hmm. War of the Worlds is really what propelled Orson Welles forward in his career um, back in the day. Yeah. I have heard, I don't know, it's probably an urban legend, but I heard that a lot of people panicked when he narrated that on the radio. Because they just turn it on and not realize. That it it was just a story, a science fiction story, and Mm -hmm. that it actually was, uh, some people assumed that it actually was uh, the news telling us about an alien invasion. (laughs) Yeah. So let's move on to some of Wes Anderson's favorite artists, Stanley Kubrick. Mm -hmm. Born July 26, 1928, and died March 7, 1999. He was raised in the Bronx, worked as a photographer for Look Magazine before making short films. Some of his movies include 2001 A Space Odyssey, Dr. Strangelove, A Clockwork Orange, Full Metal Jacket, The Shining. Wes Anderson said, Kubrick is definitely one of my favorites, but usually by the time I'm making a movie, I don't really know where I'm stealing from. So by the time I make the movie, I think, oh, this is my thing. He also said, but I think I'm always pretty influenced by Kubrick and Roman Polanski and John Huston and Martin Scorsese. Guys who's way with the camera, I feel like I'm always taking something from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, Kubrick is a good example of someone who I believe he writes a lot of his... his uh, films i should check on that actually but if he does they are very much as far as attitude and theme go they very much differ one from another which is interesting coming from someone like wes anderson where story-wise the themes and the the attitudes and the atmospheres they share something similar they you know they share a certain magic they share a certain obsessive protagonist with some type of hilarious family issues. So uh, Kubrick is interesting because every movie he makes is a masterpiece, pretty much, but they don't have the same consistency as Wes Anderson, which a lot of people might say is a fault of Wes Anderson's, is that he keeps on tracking the same ground. But, I mean, coming coming from a visual art point of view, that happens all the time, where painters will just paint basically the same thing over and over again. (laughs) And then they create kind of their signature style. Yeah, signature style, which makes them more well-known. And also it just... More identifiable. Yeah, more identifiable. And it also uh, gives them uh, uh, opportunities to really dig out and explore those ideas. That's something Scorsese has done a lot. Martin Scorsese... Most of his movies are all about, 
you know, either being in Boston or New York and being part of some type of organized crime family, whether that's mostly the mafia. And Martin Scorsese is American and Italian filmmaker, born in New York City in 1942. Wes once said, I think Martin Scorsese, when I first started making films, he was my favorite director. And his his movies include The Departed, Shutter Island, The Wolf of Wall Street, Goodfellas, The Aviator, Taxi Driver. Do you think Wes Anderson will ever one day just break down and make a serious movie? Or do you think that'll never happen? I don't think... Well, even if he if he did make a serious movie, I don't know if, if the majority of people would take it seriously because... Because it's from him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like if you're a comedian... No matter what you say, people start laughing. It's like my grandpa. He He's always sarcastic and making jokes. And so if he says something serious, we all think it's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of anyone who's done a good job of doing that. Some actors have done it. People like, uh, I mean, it's un- unnerving a little bit when an actor plays in like a, a thriller. You know, I haven't seen Uncut Gems yet, but Adam Sandler plays a jeweler in a, in a thriller. Oh, really? Um. Someone like uh, Robin Williams or Rodney Dangerfield, they've been in, you know, thrillers, scary movies, really serious movies. So I've seen actors do it, but I'm trying to think if I've seen a writer or a director really switch from like a comedy to serious movie. Oh, this is not exactly a well-known director with like a huge oeuvre of films, but the guy who did Joker, he's more well-known for doing... The Hangover, which is, of course, a comedy. Todd Phillips? Yeah, Todd Phillips. Oh, we should definitely talk about music. We probably won't be able to get around to it this time. Mm-hmm. But I'll just say this right now. Wes Anderson, being from New York and living in Paris, I totally see that in his music taste. Yeah. Because a lot of his music has a lot of French romanticism in it. But also, he picks a lot of what would you call that t- genre of music? I guess just 70s New York <laughs> heroin music. Um, Wes Anderson said, I think the way I think about shooting scenes and staging scenes is influenced very much by Roman Polanski. And some of his known techniques are subjective angles, wide-angle lenses, dark themes, but also make people laugh. Mm, yeah. And he's a French-Polish film director, producer, and writer, born in 1933. He has been out of the country for a few (laughs) decades now because of his sexual abuse case. Um, But some of his movies include Chinatown, The Pianist, The Ghost Rider, Venus in Fur, and Rosemary's Baby. (laughs) Yeah, Chinatown, I've heard a lot of people talk about how that movie was just there was such a that noir style of film or whatever it it was just that's kind of like a lot of people consider it to be the golden age of like truly artistic masterpieces in film Hmm. another favorite artist brian de palma Uh, Wes Anderson said, Brian De Palma is one of my favorite directors ever and is such the most sophisticated visual style of anybody But Brian De Palma is somebody who can take a giant, complicated action sequence and say, I know precisely how to execute this. I'm a completely different kind of movie maker, and the basic, crucial talents of that are precisely what I lack, probably. His movies include Carlito's Way, Scarface, The Untouchables, 
Mission Impossible.、Mm. Another influencer、mm-hmm. is Waris Hussein. He's a British Indian director born in December 1938. He did a lot with BBC television, is also known for his directing of Edward and Mrs. Simpson, The Possession of Joel Delaney, A Touch of Love, Doctor Who. And in an interview, Wes Anderson was asked, What films do you, did you reference when constructing this narrative for lessons and inspiration, and in what ways? Wes Anderson said, There's also a Maurice Pialat that's Truffaut esque called Leon France Nuet, Naked Childhood. Also, Melody and Black Jack. Melody is directed by Waris Hussein and written by Alan Parker. Both of them are about romance between two 12 year olds. Melody has a wonderful atmosphere in these great kids. Black Jack is a Ken Loak movie set in the 18th century in Yorkshire. Wes Anderson is one of those people. He's like the greatest example I can think of. Of course, there's many. But the greatest example I can think of is Tarantino, where he, you can watch his movies and you just know he is a movie nerd. You watch a movie and all of the references, all of the music, all of everything is just like these amazing homages to. The stuff they grew up on, the stuff they nerded out on. You can just tell that they really、um, love watching movies. You know, some people you see their art form and they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily passionate about the art form themselves. They just happen to be really good at what they do. But these guys, Wes and Tarantino, specifically come to mind as people who are just so passionate about. Movies, good movies, bad movies, everything in between. They just know it all and they reference it naturally in all of their films. It kind of reminds me of、um, one of your art professors,、mm-hmm. how he's really talented, but he does his own thing and he does not care about other artists. Like, he does not work hard to surround himself with the techniques and skills and Um, productions of other painters. Yeah. And he makes a killing. So he makes a killing as an artist. He's super successful. But I watched him in class one time and he couldn't tell the difference between a Monet and a Van Gogh. So this guy doesn't know. <laughs> he hates traveling to Europe. He doesn't like art, basically. He just likes do- making his art. And, and he's very successful. And at he's、it. very successful, you know? But Wes Anderson is quite the opposite. I mean, I mean, Wes Anderson is very talented at what he does,、mm-hmm. but he is very aware and immerses himself in the work、mm-hmm. and techniques of others. Yeah, definitely. Another favorite artist is Francois Truffaut. He's a French film director, producer, actor, critic. He was born in 1932 and died in 1984. His movies include The 400 Blows, Shoot the Piano Player, Jewels and Jim, Stolen Kisses, and Fahrenheit 451. He also was an actor in the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, directed by Steven Spielberg. So, Francois Truffaut was someone who was a favorite of Spielberg's as well, and Spielberg hired him on to be、uh, an actor in the movie、um, 400 Blows. Right? We can talk about that for a second. Yes. So, we watched 400 Blows recently.、Mm-hmm. Um, I still have no idea why it's called 400 Blows, but it's about <laughs> a, a kid, basically, who always skips school 
and goes on his own little adventures, which is very much a Wes Anderson fantasy. You know, Wes Anderson kind of there's something there's something that he taps into this idea of like childlike wonder and um, a sense of adult like bravery and adventure. So combining those two things, like a child goes out, leaves home. One of my first memories actually is just packing up my things <laughs> in the middle of the night and just leaving home, going on my own little adventure. Of course, that didn't work out as a little kid, but that's the kind of like feeling you have when you're like a little kid where you're like, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to do what I want to do, you know? And so Wes Anderson always has this imagery that Francois Truffaut has of like, you know, little 10-year-old smoking and <laughs> skipping school and going off to do their own thing. Of course, Truffaut, he addresses really serious, dark ideas in his movies, you know, talking about like poverty and the social system. But he also does it while giving the viewer a, a little adventure and a sense with a sense of humor as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And it's got that emphasis on a dysfunctional family with the selfish mom, an aloof dad, and then this boy who has secrets about his mom and mm -hmm. he's full of energy and some would say he's mischievous and Yeah, very much Moonrise Kingdom. Absolutely. One of my favorite um parts of the movie is when the judge says, I think we should place your child under observation in a special home. And then the main character's mother says, could it be by the sea, your honor? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. She kind of wants to feel good about giving her kid away. Mm -hmm. Well, she just, she doesn't, she doesn't like love him as much as you'd think mm -hmm. a mother would love her yeah. son. Yeah. You know, it's just like these ideas of kind of like cluelessness, humor that he adds into his movies also. Mm -hmm. Another influencer is Jean Renoir. French film director, producer, actor, writer, lived from 1894 to 1979. His movies include The Rules of the Game, Grand Illusion, The River, A Day in the Country. Another one is Ernst Lubitsch, German-American film producer, writer, and actor, lived from 1892 to 1947. His movies include Madame du Barry, The Love Parade, Trouble in Paradise, The Marriage Circle, So This is Paris, and Heaven Can Wait. One thing I like about Wes Anderson's movies is that he doesn't discount the things that naturally we romanticize. A lot of people, when they become a little bit more academic, they say, like, you know, the things that, like, Paris, it really isn't, you know, what you think it is, you know. But, like, Wes Anderson doesn't focus on that. He focuses on the things that we we find to be adventurous and beautiful and we romanticize in our minds. Absolutely. I was listening to um, an interview with him. I believe it was at an Apple store in New York City. But he says that he always, he's just continued with trying to create this student film feeling. Mm. And he he was joking. He's like, don't tell anyone this is a real movie. <laughs> he's creating it. And, and he does a lot of things that, um, that, continue with that idea um mm -hmm. for example he with isla dogs he um because there wasn't much dialogue um most people most of the actors and actresses just spent a couple hours recording in the studio um and then if 
Wes Anderson wanted some changes, he's like, just, you know, do it on your iPhone. And so they would record it on the iPhone. And, you know, a couple times Wes Anderson is like, I think I can hear something in the background there. So try it again. Um, Which I just thought was really interesting. Yeah, that's so true. You know, it's like when you watch his movies, there's like a, is something that separates itself from real life. And I think Wes Anderson likes that where you kind of like the viewer kind of sees kind of how just how fun it would be to make that movie and to like build those sets and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Another person to mention is Peter Bogdanovich. He's an American director, writer, actor, and critic born in New York in 1939. And his movies include The Last Picture Show, Paper Moon, What's Up Doc, They All Laughed, The Cat's Meow, and Mask. Another one of Wes Anderson's favorite artists is John Huston, an American film director, writer, and actor born in 1906 in Missouri. And his movies include The African Queen, The Maltese Falcon, The Asphalt Jungle, Key Largo, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. It's funny to me that Wes Anderson's favorite writers and directors make all of these hardcore mobster movies and crime films and stuff like that. Because the closest thing he's come to making something like that, well, I guess he tries to fit it in somehow. Yeah. He tries to fit in little, like, escapes from prison. uh, There's a lot of escapes and, like, schemes and... Bank robberies. Uh, The whole Fantastic Mr. Fox is kind of like a Wes Anderson version (laughs) of, of like, a Martin Scorsese movie or something like that. He, He can't quite be them even though he would so much want to be. And so you see these really funny creations inspired by people who make movies like Scarface. Totally. I loved The Graduate. I thought that was really fascinating to watch in context of thinking about Wes Anderson Mm -hmm. Um, with all the Simon and Garfunkel music and just like the sad, melancholy, personal crisis all in a funny take. With, Absolutely. Like with, a, like, the scuba suit. Yeah. <laughs> it's about, it's about like, a depressed kid who has an affair with an older woman. It's not exactly... And then falls in love with that older woman's daughter. Yeah. I mean, that could be a actually super depressing drama film if you wanted it to be. But instead, it's this kid who wears, like, scuba gear in the bottom of a swimming pool and, like, tries to act all proper while having an affair it's like yeah. it's hilarious i love how um in a in a lot of wes anderson movies everyone is trying to act very politely mm-hmm. and it just turns into tantrums and or i don't know i don't yeah. know how to explain it <laughs> yeah like for example like i remember in the movie isle of dogs there's a scene where the dogs are about to uh, kill each other but then they're like yeah. wait Let's uh let's look through the trash bag first and see if there's anything worth fighting over. Yeah. And they go through and they're like, hmm, let's see, there's a banana peel, blah, 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 there's blah. There's always blah, formal blah, blah, meetings blah. and discussions. Exactly, <laughs> yes. There's so many formal meetings and discussions and like laying out of game plans, someone who writes, who reads off a list. You know, there's all these like super proper OCD aspects of the movie that just make everything just a little bit more funny and satisfying. Dear Susie, walk 400 yards due north from your house through the dirt path which has not got any name on it. Turn right and follow to the end. I will meet you in the meadow. I listened to an interview where he was talking about his influences for Isle of Dogs, 
which is pretty different from everything else he's done because it's embracing an entirely different culture. Mm-hmm. So one of the film directors and screenwriters he's inspired by is Akira Kurosawa, mm-hmm. who was born in Tokyo, Japan, 1910. He directed 30 films, including Seven Samurai in 1954 and The Hidden Fortress in 1958, as well as Kagamusha, 1980. Yeah, I've seen Seven Samurai. It's actually supposed to be the inspiration for The Magnificent Seven, which is a really famous a Western film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so Kurosawa is known for emphasizing Japanese traditions, along with samurai culture, mixed with Western feelings of action, with aspects of feeling and emotion and philosophy all combined in this big soup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another person that he mentioned was some artists, some Japanese artists, including Hokusai, who was born in Edo, now Tokyo, in 1760 and died in 1848. And he is a phenomenal artist known for his 36 views of Mount Fuji, which we saw when we were in Japan last year. Yeah, that was... Went to the museum and saw those beautiful. Yeah, these amazing woodcuts, which you can tell from the... A lot of what Wes Anderson does is he has a a thing going on in the foreground, but then he uses a wide-angle lens and captures the entire landscape, which is exactly like Hokusai's woodcuts. They're all these beautiful, intricate... Uh, images of some aspect of Japanese life and then in the background you always generally get a little peak of Mount Fuji in the background Mm -hmm. somewhere behind you know a field or near the ocean or next to a a Japanese mansion etc yep absolutely it's beautiful it's really interesting how he really always tries to give an homage, uh, an authentic homage, relating to the subject matter of his work. He decides, oh, I'm not doing a movie based on a French film or a British film or an American film. So instead, he looks to those types of people in Japan who he could gain reference from, Mm -hmm. even from a directing standpoint. Yeah, a lot of times he's trying to embrace uh, specific cultural feelings. But I also think about in the Royal Tenenbaums, how it was based in New York City, set in New York City, but he didn't use, he purposefully didn't put in a lot of those iconic New York City tourist attractions or views Mm -hmm. so for example when he was filming that i don't remember who he was conversing with but they're like oh i'm so glad that you're gonna have the statue of liberty in the the background of this scene because it's like classic new york city right and he's like oh no 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 like the person's gonna stand in front of that (laughs) and he like didn't want the statue of liberty in the background that's interesting Mm -hmm. do you know why did he say anything about why he felt that way I don't I don't remember if that was discussed. Cuz you have movies like Annie Hall where the location is part is like another character in in the film. But for some reason he was not interested in having 
the iconic New York aspects. That's kind of interesting. He wanted the the neighborhood scene, you know, Mm -hmm. the local action. Yeah. I guess it's about the smaller picture, not the bigger picture Mm -hmm. with that particular film. Another artist that he mentioned was an influence for Isla Dogs was Hiroshige. And his notable work includes the 53 stations of the Tokaido and the 69 stations of the Kiso Kaido. And is this another visual artist? Yes, here are some examples of his work, which is more uh, landscape and very Japanese setting. Yeah, and what I think is really cool is the the color palette mm-hmm. of Isle of Dogs is nothing like he's done before. You know, it reminds you of minimalist designers like Noguchi or or something like that. Just like this idea of red, white, black blue before it's always been yellows browns pinks totally Mm -hmm. so that was really exciting when the when the poster came out for isle of dogs just seeing this little um pilot sitting in like a pile of trash with like the beautiful uh just black and white with like the red japanese lettering it was like nothing he's ever done before. So it makes me wonder what could he do in the future? I mean, he incorporates some of his ideas, but then he left out his iconic color palette. So, you know, maybe in the future he ramp up the the Japanese color palette that he used that he got from a lot of these woodcuts. There's a lot of potential there. Mm-hmm. So music is so important to Wes Anderson's movies. One of the things that seems to show up in all of his movies is he has uh, a lot of classic 70s music, a lot of New York artists. He has a lot of slow-mo shots of the protagonist moving forward with this music blaring in the background. Kind of gives this sense of epicness to a potentially extremely non-epic situation or character. And this scene of, like, this crew walking towards the camera in slow motion, that's something that he specifically, that's a shot that you see in Stanley Kubrick's Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. And it's in almost in all of Wes Anderson's movies, I feel like. <laughs> yes, definitely. But Wes Anderson's music, I think part of the reason that Wes Anderson has kind of like this hipster cult following is his music choices. A lot of the artists that he plays have those cult followings too. (laughs) Exactly. And it's like some college kid feels understood when he watches a Wes Anderson movie, he or she, because each time a new song comes on, it's like when you say you like Wes Anderson, you're also saying, yeah, I like the Velvet Underground. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, I really love this obscure French rock song. Mm-hmm. It's like someone is making a meal for you and they are bringing out this amazing dish. Mm-hmm. And then without even knowing, they bring out your favorite dessert too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's really enjoyable it's just like, if you like the music. Wow, how did you know this is exactly <laughs> what I like? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's kind of like with Portlandia mm-hmm. where it's like it's making fun of, you know, they'll, they'll the people be like, who are watching it. Yeah, it's making fun of the people who are watching it. That's true. And then they're making fun of themselves then. <laughs> yeah, but like it's like 
the reason you're laughing isn't because it's necessarily funny always. Partially the reason you're laughing is because you are delighted to be in on the inside joke. It's so relatable. Right, but it's it's like you it relates to you because you know about it, but other people might not know mm-hmm. who, you know, Jack White is when he shows up randomly in one of the scenes. That's why we can watch Portlandia together, but I would never, ever, in a bajillion years, show Portlandia to my grandmother. Right, (laughs) because your grandmother might might be like, I don't understand who Henry Rollins is. (laughs) That's true, she wouldn't. They're just people out there who are not going to understand or appreciate it. Just wouldn't understand, wouldn't get it. Yeah, but I mean, Wes Anderson also has a. a very it does have a surface level beauty awkwardness that everyone can appreciate but then also you can feel like like it understands you and you're in on something as well yeah in the movie the life aquatic the soundtrack is david bowie's songs but played on an acoustic guitar by one of the sailors who is famous brazilian singer songwriter sayu george mhm so that's kind of like a fun quirk. Totally. Is, I uh, love that. Yeah, I actually saw him when he went on tour in London, and he did the entire, like, David Bowie discography. Really? Yeah, it was really great. Oh, cool. It was a fun way to listen to a David Bowie song, and it was just shortly after David Bowie had passed away, so mm-hmm. it was pretty epic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this podcast, it, we may not have gone too in-depth with some of the directors because we just listed off so much stuff this time but it gives the listener a lot of information to start their research and continue finding inspiration from the same place as wes anderson did thanks for joining us bye